I'm David Matson, and this is Primetime 89, a chance for me to visit and talk story, check in, and catch up with classmates from a generation ago, finding out how they're doing, where they are, how they got there, and what experiences they've had along the way. Andrew was a boarding student from the Big Island of Hawaii, a class officer, song contest presenter, and student body president. Andrew was a class leader, a role that continues to follow him all these decades after graduation. Along with many other roles at Kamehameha, Andrew is a speech teacher and a great storyteller. Here he is, telling it like it is. Andrew, hey. my man, how you doing, man? Good, how about you? <laughs> doing well, doing well. I like your backdrop. Thanks. What, what, oh, oh, that this Mickey with like, uh, like uh, Polynesian hats. Yeah, tribal Mickey. I don't even know where I found it. One of my, uh, one of my former students uh, found it for me one time and uh, yeah, yeah. sent me the whatever. And when Zoom became a thing, I figured put it as a backdrop. Why not? That's, that's perfect. Before Kamehameha, Andrew spent his early years on the Big Island of Hawaii growing up in a place where he stood out. So you're on the big island, hillside. What was life like? So my tree is a pretty uh, standard and typical local tree, right? There's lots of different branches, lots of different roots. My mom and dad graduated from Kaido High School here. Okay. When I was one or two, we moved to the big island, lived in Volcano, grew up there for a couple of years, and then my mom and dad divorced. I was four, five. Uh, eventually, my mom met my stepdad, and he had three kids from, from his previous marriage. And so suddenly, I ended up going from the only child to uh, being the second oldest. I had, I had an older brother, me, uh, the younger one now, and then my sister. And then eventually, my mom and stepdad had a child together. So I've got three step-siblings, a half-sibling, and then on my dad's side, stepmother adopted a boy whose biological dad is actually my cousin. Okay. That's, that's kind of like a family pretzel. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I grew up with them. A very big family. It's the Awai family. I don't know if you know of uh, Papa Henry Awai. was one of the great La'au Lapa'aus uh, mm -hmm. of Hilo. And so I grew up in that environment on Homestead. It, it took that to help shape me to be resilient and to be tough and to love on others. And my mom's adopted. So we had just come back from meeting her biological family. She discovered them. She found them. So we flew up there. And uh, how old was she at the time? I was 19. She, so that makes her uh, 39, almost 40. Back then, you know, everybody took care of each other. I could go. Those were days when you go down the street to a neighbor's house and they would feed me. They take all the kids down to the beach mm -hmm. and not even an issue, right? So it, it wasn't easy, I can tell you that. I mean, I was clearly whiter than the rest of them. Right? Okay. And, my siblings. and, you know, my siblings and I were very close. I love my stepdad and my, my step-siblings very much. They're my mm -hmm. family. What were some of the things you guys used to do? I mean, as you can imagine, Homestead, you grow up with a pretty prescribed uh, lifestyle, right? The parents are either working or they just came home from work and they're sleeping, 
right? You, the kids are kind of left on left to their own demise, I think, in some people. <laughs> my, our house in Panaeva, my our back fence was the, the park. Uh, we, we would spend most of our days just hanging out in the park with all the neighborhood kids. And so, you know, that's where I did a lot of growing up. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a rough way to grow up because, you know, you, you're surrounded by mocks. So you got to step up to the plate or you're going to get pounded. My brothers were notorious for getting into scraps with people. I never got into any fights. I would watch them and go, you guys are so dumb. So I, I'm much smarter than that. I would instigate fights and then stick my brothers on them to go do it. Sure, sure. One time I came home from playing in the park. There's this other kid. He used the word prick. And so I come home and we're in the kitchen. My mom's making dinner and whatever. I'm, hey, mom, what is a, what is a prick? Wow. Uh, she put the pan down, turned around and went, don't you ever use the kind of naughty words and like okay no <laughs> no 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 trick is a bad word i don't know what it means still it's a self, never <laughs> i had a lot more drive than i think a lot of my fellow pana evans mm-hmm. did certainly a lot smarter than most of them and so uh, i ended up going to saint joseph in hilo it's a catholic school okay and then eventually got into kumeme as a seventh grade boarder Growing up there was it was fun. We got to do those kind of things, but my nickname was Professor. Oh that's my. what they call me because I was smarter than them, right? That's what they would say. Oh, you think you're smarter than I was that professor? So that's 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 why I became professor. <laughs> so growing up, were there any things that you looked forward to when you were younger? Yeah, absolutely. Our our house was pretty much entertainment central. The party would be at our house almost all the time. My dad was the uh, head coach for one of the canoe clubs, my stepdad. By nature, the party always ended up coming back to our house. I enjoyed that because I enjoyed being around the adults because the, the conversations were a lot more intellectual for starters. Uh, you pick up better jokes listening to adults than you do kids. To me, being surrounded by people meant that you were surrounded by the love that people wanna come hang out with everybody at your house, I think that's pretty cool. And so I look forward to all those kinds of get-togethers, which was practically every Friday. But every Christmas, we'd go to Papa Awai's house uh, mm-hmm. in Keokaha. Mm-hmm. We'd go there and celebrate Christmas, and we'd do an emu and stuff. So all those kinds of, of memories are the ones that I, I latch on to and really regret that my children don't get to do that kind of those kinds of sure. um, in Emu or going to Papa's house every Christmas, you know, we just can't because life is different. But but uh, we definitely do still get together with friends and family a lot, and they usually come here to my house. So I'm trying to figure out, so were you just born with a really good sense of humor, or was it something you picked up with all those jokes, hanging out with the adults? <laughs> a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was always a little kind of a bit of a class clown. Uh, I'm not going to deny that. I I, I like laughing. I think laughing's, laughing is important. And when you can laugh at yourself, it's just as important because then it gives you permission to laugh at everybody else, right? That's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. I try not to make fun at people's expense too much because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. That's not my goal. My goal is to make people happy. But inevitably, that's how some of the best jokes happen. <laughs> uh, even in elementary, I was uh, always trying to be the class clown and make people laugh because I... I think I learned at an early age that when you make people laugh, it just brings such a happier and positive energy. 
Mm-hmm. And I like being around that. I think it's more just if I can make people laugh, then that just brings the energy up and brings a positive feeling amongst other human beings. And I mean, laughter is so healing. I do it because it, it's fun to watch people be happy. Although Sister Agatha at uh, St. Joe's, she didn't appreciate my humor much at all. <laughs> One day she called me a pill. I was like third grade. I didn't even know what that meant, right? So I go home and I tell my mom, hey, mom, Sister Agatha called me a pill. <laughs> she goes, well, what were you doing? And I told her, she goes, that's not reason enough. And so she called the principal, right? There were times that I've done things and she goes, well, what were you doing? And when I told her, I got cracks. <laughs> Kamehameha schools, it seems, had a foundational impact on Andrew. And like Peter Pan in Neverland, it may be why being there he still feels young at heart. How do you think the classmates will remember you from back in high school days? I would like to believe that everyone remembers me as that, that guy who kind of floated between groups. I had my core group of, of friends, the boarders, uh, that are like brothers and sisters to me that I'm still very close with to today. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I had that core, but I also didn't mind hanging out with other groups on campus at lunch or just walking around campus or whatever. And it's not like I was trying to fit in. It's just because, again, like I mentioned earlier, I, I think one of the greatest parts of life is the ability to just be with and around other people, especially ones that help to lift you up, you know, and, and those that you can help lift up. I, I, I like that. And I think that's why I kind of just gravitated towards different groups and just hung out with with the theater guys, with the, some band geeks and orc dorks and <laughs> uh, you know, other day students. And mm-hmm. uh, I like that, speeches and stuff. So It almost sounds like you, you look for the best in people, you know? What are some of the things that are different about you than back in the high school days? Well, I'm a lot fatter, for starters. <laughs> you know, I just I, I think that the mirrors are just changed a little and, and they give us that illusion that we are, but we're we're really we gotta be the same. You can't be much different, you know. <laughs> so I always joke that I've been 17 for the past 24 years. And I try to keep that because I don't wanna act my age. You know what I mean? I don't wanna look like I act my age. I think I'm still trying to hang on. I don't know if I'm hanging on or if it's just I enjoy that because it's more fun. But uh, not much has changed other than, like I said, my way, I'm gray hair, but. Yeah, that's well, it. at least you got here. So I, I'll just say that. <laughs> Was there any experience you had in high school that influenced you to today? I think my entire six years on that hill helped to define who I became and the, the man and the father and the, and the friend and the brother I am and husband I am today. The six years up there are filled. My barrel is so full of life experiences from some of the greatest people. I mean, you know, we had some of the most fabulous teachers. You know, we've had some amazing adults and human beings that came into our lives on that hill that have shaped us and, and have helped us to become a good Hawaiian and good people who, if you embrace it, which I think I did, no single event that I can think of necessarily because there's too many, I think, that all conglomerated together to create um, my entire life 
less lesson, if you will. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. I asked Andrew if there was one special teacher he remembers from high school, who would that be? He mentions four. So, Andrew, as the, uh, the wonderful teacher that you are, did you yourself have a teacher who really motivated you and elevated you back in high school? Absolutely. One was Bob Horwath. He taught wood tech, but he was also our dorm advisor. He was a dad to us. There was a lot that he did to help us grow as young men and uh, understanding how to be respectful. And uh, Miss Baldwin was absolutely one of the toughest teachers I had, but yet one of the most caring, loving, and sweetest human beings. She didn't have a problem uh, calling me out. Uh, of course, Dr. Chun, one of the biggest things I learned from him and Auntie Bina is just their innate and unconditional love they have for each other as a husband and wife. You know, that's what made me want to make sure I find the right person in a wife myself. And so uh, he was very influential too. Julian, I'll call it, because when I was student body president, he was dean of student activities. But uh, Julian, I think, is one of the ones that really launched me on that path of rising above, you know, because I would always try to make jokes of things. He helped to ground me and realize that you know, life is not a joke. Life is important, and what you do with that and who you impact in that life has meaning. I credit him for helping to teach me resilience and, and to teach me the fact that they, life is important. Don't act like it's not, because the impact you have on others is, is what's going to matter in, in the grand scope of things. What do you miss most from the high school days? Nothing, because I'm there every day of my life. Sometimes I, 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 you know, when I'm treading around campus, I think to myself, oh, and I get a little nostalgic. Then I go, oh, I'm still here. So let's see. I was literally away from campus only for about five years. After we graduated for about five years, and even then, not necessarily because then I started coaching paddling like three years out of high school. <laughs> such a leech i'm not gonna pee i mean it's it's we should we should turn one of those walls into a memorial or something like that and actually put put a plaques for for all of us who've been there forever like you <laughs> i've mentioned it to multiple uh administrators over the years that i want a full-blown statue of me at the front gate uh, as after i retire and i want lays put on every every uh, holiday season uh, i've gotten no traction on that either you know what I do miss? Life was so much simpler back then, right? I mean, we didn't have these. We didn't have these things to distract. We didn't. You know, when you wanted to talk to somebody, you sat down and you talked with them. When, when you had a problem, you, you sat down with that person, you hashed it out. Life has changed so much. Some of my most fondest memories was right outside the Capoeva in Lunalilo. When we would just sit on the stairs, we would just sit there and talk for hours and hours until the dorm brothers were screaming at us to get back in. It's time for study hall. You know what I mean? It's, those kinds of things, they've gone away. It's sad. And I think if there's anything I miss about high school, it's that nostalgia. It's kind of sad that kids can find more comfort and joy in just sitting down and hanging out and talking story, good, wholesome story and, and learning life lessons from each other instead of worrying about doing a TikTok video in the park. You know, the way that we used to do it, we were forced to because we had no other option, is in person. 
face to face. You know, I definitely, you know, agree with that. I can respect the whole technology issues. And you're right. You, you can't be just sitting down in that presence. And again, it goes back to uh, what I was saying earlier about just that energy that you give to somebody by making them laugh in person. The energy you get by giving somebody a hug or a high five or, or even a slap in the head. Or a pat on the back. Yeah. Okay, that too. <laughs> but those kinds of energies uh, you don't get behind a screen. And that's something that's been really, really hard for me as a teacher. It, it was excruciatingly difficult for me to have to watch and interact with my students from behind a screen. And I so badly know that some of them are suffering so bad that all they needed was a good lie hug just to reassure them that it was going to be okay. And you can't do that behind a screen. And so there are parts of technology I can respect, but there are also parts that I just absolutely resent. And, and that lack of uh, interpersonal and, and verbal and, and physical communication is something that is irreplaceable. And so I'm glad that life's getting back to normal. I don't know if you remember, I was dating a class of 90. At that point, I had gotten accepted to a couple of schools in the mainland and was going to go. But because we were still dating, I decided I would stay and just go to UH. And if I was going to do that, then I was going to join the Marines and have them pay for it. Mm-hmm. So Dayton Walton and I joined the Marines together. And while I was there, I got the proverbial Dear John letter. And uh, she broke up with me while I was in boot camp, which then sent me on a tailspin of self-pity and self-loathing. Boys, I try to explain this to my teenage students and my, and my sons. Boys, they fall in love super quick, right? It takes them forever to fall out of love if that ever happens. Girls are the opposite. They take forever to fall in love because they want to make sure that they are, they are finding the right person. But if they're done with you, boop, goodbye, and you're done, right? And so that's how it was in my case, and, and sure enough, and I, I, I didn't deal with it very well at all. So long story short, that's about the time in my life where I realized that uh, stuff happens for reasons, as I started reflecting on my 19 years of life at that point. Andrew talks about meeting his wife and their boys. And he provides an answer to the age-old question, which came first, the chick or the keg? Fast forward, I was at a party at UH, and a mutual friend of ours, actually I was 20, we were in the apartments on campus at UH, walked by with my now wife and another friend, and they were pulling a keg. And so I always joke that I don't know what caught my eye first, the keg or, or Deidre. Well, well, Andrew, I'll tell you one thing. That's that's the first thought that came to my mind. But <laughs> but your last sentence was your friend came by with your wife and the keg, not the keg and your wife. So I think that's that says something. You know what I mean? Well, I'm a speech teacher, David, so I know how to phrase things without getting in trouble. Okay, Professor, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When I go home, I still get called professor every now and then. But there were several times where I would be saying things and I literally had to stop myself and ask the guy who I was talking to, like my oh, another cousin or whatever, go, do you need me to translate what I'm talking about? No. And so we hooked up pretty quick. We hit it off pretty well. So had I not been dating a 90 grad, mm-hmm. 
And uh, had I gone to the mainland for school, I first of all, wouldn't have even met this woman, mm-hmm. right? And so, but the fact that we met gives again, I think further credence to things happen for reasons. I mean, I can't see my life any other way, especially without her, there's no way. Crazy cool. So your wife, she's an oncology nurse. She is. Does she work with like a medical oncologist or surgeons or? She works in the women's cancer clinic at Kapilani. Well, good for her. It's not easy work, uh, as you know. I mean, it, it's, it's taxing on a human being, not only the one who has to unfortunately receive the, receive the care, but the one who has to give it. It takes a lot out of her soul. You know, especially when the ones she gets close to mm-hmm. don't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she does a really good job at, at being uh, one of those nurses that, that her patients just absolutely adore. I mean, she received an award last year for uh, exactly that. You know, for my as a doctor, having a great nurse who can be there to, to coach the patient through or to cheer them through, you know, being that support for them in that moment really makes all the difference. My wife and I have been blessed with three good boys who are just good human beings and, and love on people and care yeah. for other people. Whatever path they take, I'm going to be happy with it because they're just good human beings that give back to other people. And that's great. If they have grandkids and they'll be closer to Papa. And, and actually, I either want to be called Papa Dude or uh, what was the other one? I had another one that my wife, neither of which my wife likes. Rockin' Papa or is anything? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> All my kids are pretty fair. Well, maybe not the youngest. The youngest is a little darker skin, but the other two are, I mean, they take after the mother. We go into deeper topics here, like beauty and meaning in life, our hopes for the future, and Andrew lays out his motivation and his fulfillment as a teacher. I was a Marine. I've jumped out of perfectly good aircraft. I've I've fired fun weapons. I've, I've done stupid things. The stuff I got in the Marine Corps, this COVID vaccine is nothing. We got shot with some type of shot called Plague 1, Plague 2, and Plague 3. I'm not making that up. <laughs> well, then. So, yeah. You know what's crazy? Okay, they stuck that Plagues 1, 2, and 3 in you. But now I think that the military has the option to get the vaccine or not. We were mandated, and you stood in this cattle line that you walked by. It wasn't even needle. It was like a gun. <laughs> oh, yeah. it, it shoots that stream of liquid into your arm at such a high speed, so it's not even a needle. It's just they put the gun in Right? And so um, you just walk by, and, and you get like four or five shots. We, we did this multiple times during not only boot camp, but advanced training. Yeah. Well, I've been inoculated with so many things. I, mean, I think I'm immune to everything. I probably gave COVID COVID. <laughs> Teaching was never on my radar. Uh, I did not want to be, be a teacher. That was not in my game plan. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be on Days of Our Lives, largely because I wanted to make out with Christian Alfonso. Oh, yeah. Okay. But um, that didn't work out. Well, there was a different path <laughs> for me, clearly. <laughs> so... Uh, but you know, I look at it this way: is I, I get to be on stage every day. And so, before I started teaching at the high school, I was teaching at middle school. I took over um, Mr. Reynolds' place. Okay. He retired. I took over his spot, and I was down there for eight years. And I moved up the hill. I was walking past the office, 
He came outside and he goes, for God's sakes, Andrew, iron your shirt. <laughs> like, what? What's wrong with it? <laughs> Have some common decency and iron your shirt. <laughs> but, you know, so, I mean, it's that kind of stuff that really, it made me go, oh, yeah, you're right, fine. So every time I, I'm about to put on a sort of wrinkly shirt, I think of that moment and realize that what he told me before when I was younger, too, you can't treat life like it doesn't matter. You're forever etched in the back of, of your mind every time you pull a shirt out of the closet. Oh, well, what would Mr. Uncle say? <laughs> You're not wrong. I mean, I, I every day of my life when I go to work and I grab a shirt, I'm like, oh, one too many lines. Is, I have time to iron. No, damn it. Uh, and vice versa, right? And that's why I don't take my job lightly at all, because I know that things I say and or do could impact an adolescent's life tremendously. And so I'm very careful to make sure that I don't say or do things that are going to uh, detract them from their goals or detract them from their ideals. My job is to teach them how to think. 4,800 students later, I think I'm doing a decent job. Gee whiz. Wow. That's a huge impact, you know, especially if each of them, you know, or some of them pay it forward to a few, how, how huge that would grow. That's always a goal of mine. I just want to make sure that I leave this place better than I found it. One of my philosophies I have when I'm talking to them is it's not so much about how you start. It's not even so much about how you finish. What really matters is the role that you take to get you from point A to point B. When you get to where you're going, do not ever forget every bump in that road, every dip and curve in that road, because that is what is defining your character and that takes you to where you want to go. Uh, one of my philosophies for teaching is you can't learn from somebody you don't know and I can't teach somebody I don't know. So I want to get to know them. You know, this 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 past year tested me on levels that I never thought I could ever be tested. I, I, I'm a stage performer, right? I need that energy in front of me. And when I, ha I had to do it behind the screen, it was just too hard. And I read an article once that talked about um, human interaction and human connection. And one of the things it talked about is hugs are unique to humans for the most part. Because the only other creatures that really hug hug are like all monkeys or, or apes. Um, and dogs have their version of hugging or whatever, but that it's that share of energy. The moment when you uh, can share that energy with another human being just by embracing them, or, or you and a dog for that matter, right? When you can embrace them, the energy is shared. But I do believe that we're creatures that are made up of energy, we're made up of, of cells and molecules and, and, and things that, that work in this universe in ways we don't maybe understand, but when you put them together yeah. and it's positive, I mean, you can't go wrong. And yeah. so, that was very meaningful. I appreciate that. It, you know, I, what do you love most about your job? The, the fact that I can be a part of another human being's life and hope to just have just a little impact in that human being's life in my effort to leave this world better than the way I found it. That's what I love the most. I've got drawers and boxes and, and cabinets full of that type of affirmation from students dating back to 1997. You know, so that's the part I love most about my job. It's just 
uh, when I get to see another human being at some of the most awkward parts of their life and I can help them navigate some of those tough times, that's what gives me the most joy about working with uh, young Hawaiians. This past year was definitely the most difficult, as I mentioned. And uh, when we were able to have some in-person stuff with the leadership kids, we did a retreat. Mm -hmm. At the retreat, we always do an Ava ceremony at the end uh, where the kids can get up and, and talk about things that they want to talk about and share whatever they want to share. And five or six kids made it a point to get up to tell me that this year I literally saved their life. And it was purely because I gave them the, that I recognized something was wrong with them from behind a screen. And I was able to address them and reach, reach out to them and just make sure that they were okay. So the fact that I get to even have that tiny little piece of their life, uh, that's a big bonus for me. I don't need anything else. Oh yeah. I mean, if, if you can affect just one life that way, I mean, that's so much more meaningful than any kind of accolade or an, an award. These kids do the same thing for me. They feed my soul. Yeah. You know, they, they, they keep me uh, grounded. They keep me uh, wanting to do this work. Yeah. You know, I'm blessed that I get to come home to three amazing kids, but I think part of the reason my kids are such good human beings is because I've learned from all these kids in the last 24 years on how to raise a good kid. If from that relationship, there's recognition that you're doing something, you know, better than right, something spectacular. I mean, how awesome is that, right? Yeah. It's yeah. cool. And the other thing, the other thing that I thought was cool is you save things back from 97. That means that it matters to you too. Not just to your, not just to your students, but to you. And that says a lot too, Andrew. That's awesome. That's awesome. They're important, right? Those kinds of things are important because, again, there's there's that old story, poem, or or whatever you want to call it, but um, I have it on my desk too. It, uh, a guy walking on the beach. There's all these starfish on the ground or on the on the sand, and uh, he sees one guy at the end just throwing them back in one at a time. And he walks up the guy and he says, "What are you doing? You can't possibly make a difference. We got all these starfish stranded on the beach." The guy picks up a starfish, throws it back in the ocean, goes, made a difference to that one. If I'm supposed to be there because this is how I give back to Pawahi, and that's what I'm going to do. I love my job. I love what I get to do. And I'm getting to that point where it's getting time to turn the page and uh, let, let somebody else take over this work. And there's lots of former students uh, that I've had that are come back to campus that are teaching now. What about the most beautiful thing you've witnessed in your life? A lot of it has to do moments with my family and loved ones. Uh, obviously, the birth of my sons, each one of them was pretty miraculous in and of itself and just pretty amazing and, and beautiful. Uh, although my first one, he was born, I did pass out. One of those dads. You're, I was going to say, you're one of those dads. Yeah, but I've delivered a bunch of babies, and, and it's like, you know, catch the baby, check to see if you got to catch the dad. <laughs> the oldest one, that was me. Okay. I thought it took out a couple of machines that were in the room. It was terrible. It was, it was horrible. It was, it was what you see in movies. That was me. 
<laughs> the second one and the third one, no problem. But back to the beautiful things in your life. Another beautiful moments like um, being in Alaska and watching the uh, the glacier and, and reflecting to myself on how climate change is affecting all of that. You know, and just but yet there, that beauty, that raw nature is is still it still exists and i've got a chance to see it that was pretty beautiful going home this past week to the big island uh being down at city of refuge just to hang out and watch the sunset and listen to the ocean come and go i mean those feed my soul as well you know and, and so those, those kinds of things i find beautiful and getting to share them with family and friends makes it even that much more beautiful too with everything that you've done in your life, I and mean, what's among those, if you could choose having been the most meaningful, what would that be? Uh, I have forsaken a lot of time with my family. And um, it's ironic on how much attention I can devote to some of my students, but it's because I'm with them all day long. And then I come home to my kids who get to see me just for the evening until we go to bed, right? When they were little. Nowadays, it's, it's a lot different because they're a lot older. But um, I, I think being able to still be a part of raising my sons to be good human beings, mm -hmm. um, despite my distractions at work, I think being able to raise them to be good human beings is single-handedly my greatest joy and, and then a big accomplishment. I mean, I, I, there's almost nothing I would do, wouldn't do for them. Mm -hmm. so. that's, that's wonderful. So what encourages you most about the possibilities that the future holds? In my line of work, I actually get to see the future being created. Uh, not just in, in the real sense of the word where technology and everything around us is developing, but I get to watch the young minds that are potentially going to be the, become a leader who's going to help affect change in other people's lives. What's a typical thing you do during your summers or how do you spend them? Uh, the first couple of weeks are spent uh, drinking heavily <laughs> and uh, decompressing, just allowing myself to, get back into the rhythm of being a husband and dad instead of husband, dad, and Mr. Lai. Nah, ha, ha. So. Does, does the decompression and, and the, um, the recalibration involve travel? Yeah, we, we love traveling. We usually try to go to the Big Island. We go home to check out my mom guys and make sure they're doing good. And so we do that. We love going to wine country. My wife and I love going on cruises, too. So you know, <laughs> uh, We usually go to Disney. I mean, I'm a pretty big Disney fan, see? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm getting that. <laughs> <laughs> Unashamedly. I don't care what other people think. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Disney. We all are. Because the attention to detail that they do, the imagination that goes into their stuff that they do, sure. uh, the fact that they are embracing of all humans i love that kind of stuff i totally respect that and that's kind of what draws me to be such a disney fanatic yeah you know when you get to go to the park and you're there with family we all go at the same time we wear the same shirts and all that kind of ridiculousness and yeah but it's so fun because you know life life is about making memories because 
Next thing you know, there's a global pandemic. What are you looking forward to in 10 years? What are you looking forward to 20 years from now? So in 10 years, I'm looking to be retired, my wife to be retired, and then we can just travel. If I am allowed to have grandchildren, then I'm praying that they're nearby so I don't need to travel too far to get to them. Actually, you know what I want to do in 10 years? I want to go work just for funsies at Disney or at Aulani. I don't need a job where I got to think. I just got to show up and wave at people and give people high fives and shakas and minoakas. That's all I want to do. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't mind being the guy that helps lead Mickey around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be the, uh, the, the pen to his teller or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what does turning 50 mean to you? How, how do you feel about that? I've been 17 for the last 24 years. But I think it just pays a little more credence to the fact that we need to respect the life that we're living. So I, I can't remember where I heard it recently, but I've been using it a lot lately. And it's, uh, instead of YOLO, I've been saying YODO. Y-O-D-O. You only die once, but you live every day. And so that's how I'm choosing to live my life these days. I'm going to live every day. And I want everybody around me, all my friends and loved ones, to live that with me too. And that's what I think Turning 50 is doing. It's just reaffirming the fact that we need to make moments like this. Go back on and just go, oh, man, remember we did this. Remember we ate that. Remember that beer we had. In my opinion, that's what life's about is making those memories because in the grand scheme of life, memories are all you got. Well, what's your comfort food? I like food that tastes tastes good. I like food that reminds me of places we've been. I like food that reminds me of times that we've had, you know, like speaking of Peter, Mm -hmm. having a beer and, and certain foods, I don't get to do that anymore. And, you know, so... What's one of those foods that um, that you would enjoy with Peter? Uh, he used to love my chicken enchiladas. Okay. So I don't I don't make them very much because it's uh, it's gonna sound stupid, but it's it's painful. You know. It's not stupid. Uh, but anyway, so those kinds of comfort foods I like to, to eat when they remind me of of places we've been or things we've done or people I get to that. I've shared my life with. I am definitely a hamburger steak kind of guy. Uh, connoisseur even. Well, Chris Murray's calling me right now. <laughs> hey, tell him I want to interview him after this. So hey. I'm on I'm on a Zoom call with David Matson. He said, fuck yourself. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he said he wants to interview you too so let me call you back when we pop <laughs> <laughs> he laughed and he said that sounds something like David would say I was thinking that sounds exactly like what Andrew would say <laughs> you walk into a bar with a bunch of friends and you gotta go and get your drink what's your drink of choice yes <laughs> uh, beer I'm, I'm gonna go to i used to love guinness uh, dark beers um i built this body off of guinness <laughs> and they it, it started to give me heartburn i steered away from those and uh, i drink lots of ipa now those are my favorites is there a particular ipa that you like 
Ten Barrels Apocalypse IPA. Okay. Uh, that's that's my all-time favorite. I, I, it's just the right amount of bitter. It's it's not super mindy racing. You know, it's a good drinkable beer on a nice hot summer day. I like that. Actually, I feel like having a, a beer right now with you. <laughs> <laughs> we can make that happen. Yeah, man. Okay, let's do it. Cheers, man. Cheers, brother. Gotcha. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Primetime 89. I'd like to thank our guest, Andrew Lai, for taking the time to talk story with us. I'd also like to thank everyone who helped put this together. Jamie Barboza and Nicole Yoshimitsu, Wendy Brown, Kalia Quarrel, Drake and Dana Cow. And a special thank you to Drez, Dwayne Andres for the music, and Elizabeth Matson with production and editing. I'm your host, David Matson. Be sure to like us and follow us at Primetime 89 Hawaii, where you can see photos of our guests and their stories. And subscribe to get the latest updates and news of upcoming episodes. And join us again with another classmate on Primetime 89.